powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook. Welcome to Game Over Montreal. I am Andrew Berkshire, as per usual, and I'm going to be joined tonight by Miss Saturday Night, Laura Saba, the active stick, who you all know and love. The Montreal Canadiens lost 5-1 to one in a game that, I don't know, to me it didn't feel like a 5-1 to one loss in terms of effort level. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too positive after sitting through that Anaheim Ducks game where they probably should have lost like 20 to nothing against a team that actually fielded an NHL lineup. But uh, this one didn't feel that bad to me. But we're, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff tonight. I, I Some games I have like three or four things that I kind of bunch into a couple topics. Tonight's kind of a bit scattershot because I had a lot of things that I wrote down during the game. We're going to talk about... Kirby Doc always being on the best line, no matter what line he's playing on, that line's the best. We're going to talk about Jake Allen and his propensity to let in early goals and often back-to-back goals. You know, it, it's something that happens when he's playing too much. Once again, I think they've got to start alternating the goalies. Uh, the penalty parade over the last several games is something that's killing the Canadians. And, of course, Caden Gooley, who, uh, wow. He gave us something to talk about tonight. We've got to talk about Caden Gooley. Gooley Nation is here. I see Kay already in the chat. I see Miss Epica in the chat. So Gooley Nation is going strong. We're going to talk about that. But first, think you know the way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction, whether it's World Cup, hockey, football, or basketball. Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. You want to bet? Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, let's welcome in Laura Saba, Miss Saturday Night, as we call her around here, because she's always here for Saturdays. Laura, how are you feeling? I'm doing well. I don't know what it says about me that I'm always there on Saturday nights, <laughs> that I'm not busier on Saturday nights. Well, Although, I'm here too. What <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's your job, right? True. Uh, but... In fairness, though, I did sign up for some Saturday nights on purpose because, as you know, we do a five-day-week show, uh, Locked On Canadians, and I do not want to make my poor co-host wait for about an hour while we record and then record that show. So that's why I always pick either Friday or Saturday night games. That's your amazing show, Locked On Canadians, with co-host Scott Madela. I'm saying his name wrong because I spell it wrong. Scoot Maddle. Scoot What's the other Scott Macara? Scott Macara, man, he's had some weird ones. Scott Matlin is not that hard to say, and it's not that hard to spell. So everybody <laughs> out there who's not doing it as part of the bit, start spelling Scott's name correctly. Put some respect on his name. He's been doing this long enough. We can get serious here. All right, uh, Laura, I went and looked through. I didn't check any of the stats during the game. After the second period, I was like visibly annoyed that I had to watch another game where the Kings just couldn't get anything done, but. Uh, at even strength, the Canadians outshot, outpossessed, outchanced, and outexpected gold the Tampa Bay Lightning in this game, but were outscored three to one. I think, weirdly, this might be a game to build on a little bit. I would agree with you. I think the thing that happens, and I think. One thing that we have been confusing a little bit this season is that sometimes the, the exciting games, the Canadians aren't actually playing all that well. 
and the boring games, you look at it and they actually are playing a tighter, better, uh, more sound game. And that's one that's one of the ones, unlike you, I did look at the stats pretty much right away. I was looking at the stats throughout the game because I did want to see if my theory on that was true. Now, you can have a really abysmal game like the one that they had against Anaheim where they had no attempts to do anything. They basically were sleepwalking. Or you can have a game like tonight where, honestly, I just kept cursing Vasilevsky because he is definitely... He was great. He's the best goaltender in the league right now. He's the best goaltender playing right now. And you can't you can't convince me anyone else's. I know, you know, everybody comes out, there's like one season or, you know, the next, the future or whatever. But I think Andre Vasilevsky, for my money, is the best goaltender in the world playing right now. Um, you know, we're, we'll have a different debate at the end of the season, next season, whatever. So to me, this game really highlighted that um, the Canadians are able to follow up poor performances with better strategies. They're able to follow up, um, you know, a really, really tough, I think, really, really tough losses. I mean, that loss to, to Anaheim was inexcusable, right? But they're able to follow it up with better play. And it also highlights again, one, they, you know, they need they need goal scoring and two, they need power play scoring. And that's definitely something that, you know, is hurting them. I think that the Tampa Bay penalty kill is fantastic. You know, you can't discount the work that they do. And I think that the, the Tampa Bay Lightning is a team that the Canadians are actively trying to learn from, even if they don't talk about it all that often. It definitely feels like they're trying to model themselves after a Tampa Bay type team or a Colorado Avalanche team where they want to be consistently good for a long time. So they're learning the better habits from that. And I keep rambling, but I just I feel better about this this loss than I ordinarily would looking at a 5-1 score, right? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the fact that it's against the Lightning also helps that out a little bit. You know, I I also, I look at how this game went, and the Canadians came out, they all played the Lightning right away. Like, they owned the puck in that first period, and then it just so happened, literally the first opportunity they got was a partial breakaway. And I know it was a break, but Jake Allen should have had that shot by Brandon Hagel. I thought it was a pretty crappy shot. And it just went right through him. And that's the kind of thing where you kind of expect the starting goaltender to have it. I don't want to go too harsh on Jake Allen, but he has a habit of giving up the first goal very early on one of the first few shots and often the second goal right after. Like it's kind of in sequence. This one, there was a bit of space in between, but that puts the Canadians in a hole very often. Now, oftentimes the Canadians earn that two goal deficit. (laughs) But they play down two goals. It seems like an awful lot. Yeah, it definitely does. And that's the thing. It feels like it happens too much, doesn't it? And I don't know if it's something that, you know, can be remedied before it even gets to the goaltender or if it really is the Canadians really need to figure out what their bona fide starting goaltender situation is going to be two to three years from now because that's that's a debate that constantly comes up in this market and that's a question we constantly get asked on our show too is what is the future of the Canadians goaltending and I like I think you know much like I miss Saturday night Jake Allen is Mr. Right Now right that's that's what it is he's Mr. Here He's Mr. Here, exactly. He's yeah. not, yeah. So I think that, I mean, there's a couple of exciting goalies in the pipeline. Uh, I think, I, I don't want to write off Caden Primo just yet, but I feel like it's become kind of apparent that even the Canadians aren't super sure about him. 
So I'm hoping that the answer is somewhere there because I don't want this to be a good team that's led to, let down by bad goaltending. I want consistent, positive goaltending. I want a starting goaltender who might not be the best in the league or the world, but is good enough, right? And so to me, I think we're a long way from that conversation, but I would like for them to have an idea at this point in the rebuild. Yeah, and you know, I guess we're because last season was so terrible, it feels like the Canadians have been rebuilding for longer, but we are less than a year into the actual rebuild, right? Like uh, Kent Hughes was hired. I mean, in February, I think. No, that was that was uh, Martin Saint Louis. Was Martin Saint Louis was Hughes hired after Saint Louis or before? No, it, I was, think it was before. before. No, 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 it was definitely before. So yeah. it might have been around this time when Bergevin was fired. It was. Uh, no, it was a couple before. weeks ago, right? It was November. Yeah. Yeah, and that so Jeff Bergevin Gordon came in. November. Yes. So we're a little bit over a year into Jeff Gordon's tenure, but under a year for Kent into Hughes. Kent Hughes so it's it's like we're we're like getting impatient because last year was so brutal, and now like some of those holes are starting to show where the Canadians like bad habits or like young players are making mistakes and now they're getting punished for it. Now the goaltenders aren't as good, and it starts to give like those flashbacks to the Ducharme era, and I think people are just get like really annoyed with games that just get away from them really quickly nobody wants to see that at the best of times but for this team you know they want to see the progress and outside of Caden Gooley tonight uh offensively they, they really couldn't get it done I think one of the issues that they had this tonight and I was hoping that one of them would find a way to do it but the best scoring chances for anybody on the Canadians tonight came from two from UL Armia two from Jonathan Drouin and three from Michael Pozzetta and great for them that they're getting chances, but if those are the guys getting the best chances, you might not be winning the game. It's just the <laughs> way it's going. You need to give them Cole Caulfield hands. Yes. <laughs> or even Mike Hoffman hands. <laughs> yeah, something, right? And unfortunately, that's just the way that it broke. Like Sometimes you get the chances or you earn the chances, and it ends up on the wrong stick. Not necessarily that a player can't score, but you know, UL Armia... I said the other night that he has the confidence of a grade seven boy at his first school dance. You know, like <laughs> all the boys lining up tight against the wall, looking at the girls like, uh, no, don't talk to me. Like, that's how I see you all Armia right now with the, with the, with the puck. Unfortunately, uh, eventually he's going to score, but right now it, it, it seems impossible, but it's not happening for him. No, it's not happening. But uh, we had a few comments in here. Uh, Kay said that uh, she thought that, after 40 periods, they genuinely looked awful. Uh, did I say four periods? After 40 minutes. Getting my numbers crossed here. <laughs> I think the reason why they look terrible is because of a habit that's developed over the last several games here. They were just taking stupid, needless penalties. Like, yes. constant, dumb penalties. Like, Mike Matheson's penalty at, I guess, the end of the second there, where he just was beat by a guy and pushed him, even though the Canadians had a player back. Like there was no real danger there. The puck was going to the Canadians. It, it's just mental mistakes like that combined. Too yeah. Too many men, another dumb mistake, but I feel like it's combined with the whistles aren't going the other way either. And I'm not saying there's anything about bias. It's just like there's ebbs and flows to a season. Sometimes you get the calls. Sometimes you don't. And also the Tampa Bay lightning are the best penalty lobbyists in the entire league by far. Like Steven Stamkos just, doesn't even get a penalty, and he's still yapping at the refs trying to complain about a, a call, right? But there was no difference in my mind 
between what Mike Matheson did in the second period. And then I think it was Uri Slavkovsky kind of tipped the puck into the offensive zone against the lightning yes. and Eric Chernak stepped into him and knocked him down. Literally no difference. Both players tipped the puck further on and chased after it and were interfered with. But all of a sudden the whistle goes away. Like it's mm-hmm. that combination of the stupidity and the other team not getting punished for their stupid mistakes. And the fact that power play is terrible in general it's just too much to overcome, right? And right. as long as the power play remains bad, it's going to be extremely tough for the Canadians to eke out wins against teams of the quality of the Lightning because you need a team like that to have some level of fear of cheating. And they didn't. And that's the thing, is that I think the Canadians just sometimes it looks like they're frustrated, Right. And I some I, I often think it's not just it's not just the Canadians, any team. Sometimes they get like undisciplined when they're not good or when they're frustrated. I think frustration is 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 one of them. And I think they're frustrated with themselves and they're shooting themselves in the foot as a result. And I mean, who among us, right? But you can't do that in, in a hockey game, especially not when, like you pointed out, they're just not getting the calls. Yeah, absolutely. Um what did you think of Kirby Doc tonight? Because as the season goes on, and actually, you know, before we get into Doc, I should say everybody who's here got to do my my thing. <laughs> like the video, help us out, because uh, we need the help here. YouTube algorithm not helping us. So like the video, subscribe to SDPN, hit the bell so that you get reminded when there's a new video, and uh, if you really like us, share the show on social media either right now or right after the show. When everybody can watch or it on tomorrow. replay, or tomorrow, or the next day, whatever. There's there's value in these, even if they're post game shows. We're still talking about the Habs, so Habs fans can always watch them. There can be something from last season that could be fun to watch. You know, like they, watch the show with me and Laura and Alice last year. Both of them, they're fantastic. You'll have lots of fun. You might come away feeling a little bit like that Jake Allen quote from last night. <laughs> That should be the tagline. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so Kirby Doc, let's get into him because once again, uh, he was dropped off the Caulfield Suzuki line, which I understand why uh, St. Louis is doing that, right? Without Monaghan, they need some insulation. I think that's another thing we haven't really talked about tonight is like part of the reason why they're struggling is because Monaghan's out and he just plays such such a vital role in this team. But dropping him down to the second line, that line was killer. Absolutely killer tonight. I love the play of Uri Slavkovsky. Love the play of Jonathan Duran. Giveaway on the power play notwithstanding. You know, that happens when you're the last man back and you're not an amazing player. Duran is a middle guy. He's not uh, a guy who's going to be there long term. You know, we all know he's going to make mistakes. But Kirby Doc, every line that he plays on is the Canadian's best line. I think that says a lot. And I, I feel like, I think we've talked about this before on this show. I'm not sure, but you know, we definitely talked about it on ours is that with Kirby doc, people get really bogged down in certain minutia, right? Like we talk about the face off or we talk about how many goals he didn't score. We talk about that one mistake he made or one time he was behind the puck or one time he was ahead of the puck or two ahead or one time, like we didn't like his edge work. Like there's always something about Kirby doc where it's like, it's, a thing it's it's one element of one game it's it's usually not something that he's consistently bad at for example and so we get bogged down in that but if we look at what has long forever been one of my favorite way to favorite ways to assess a player 
It's how people do with him and how people do without him, right? The old wowie stat, mm-hmm. like, you know, and for me, I think that's a really great way to kind of look at how uh, how to assess a player like Kirby Doc, who's brought in as a center, as somebody who's supposed to be creating this, who's, who has those responsibilities. You look at who he plays with and you look at whether or not he elevates their game or drags them down. Is he being the sheltered player or is he being the one who's, you know, who's being put in a position to succeed or is he the one that is creating positions for other people to succeed? And I think with Kirby Duck, that has been so, so, so key. There's somebody that on we've had on both of our shows, Sebastian High, right? Um, he does those threads where he does analysis of players. And I think, you know, with Kirby Duck, that's something that has been evident in, in his analysis of Kirby Duck. Like I really love paying attention to what Sebastian does because it, it, it's visual, it shows you, it's examples, it's evidence-based. And there's so many instances where Kirby Doc is the person that is driving the play or driving the success of a line. And I yeah. really like that. And I think, you know, we got very lost in all these other debates and conversations when the trade happened or in the preseason or even in the early going of this season. And what we're forgetting is that the Canadians are making these decisions in a way that would emulate a Tampa Bay or emulate a Colorado Avalanche. You're making smart decisions based on things that other GMs and other teams are missing, right? So that's what they did with Kirby Duck. Like they saw this potential and maybe he's not the first line center, the giant first line center we've always wanted or whatever it is, but maybe he's that guy that elevates everybody else's game. And so if you have a team of those people, they might not be the flashiest or the superstar or whatever, or they might have flaws in their game, but if they consistently make everyone around them great, isn't that what you're looking for in a well-rounded lineup where you can roll lines, where you can, you know, constantly be a threat, where you can constantly have the puck in your possession when you're the ones generating offense, when your zone exits are clean, your zone entries are clean, you know, like I just, I just feel like more Kirby Ducks on this, on this, on this roster. Let's trade for more of those. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was a guy that he was clearly targeted and like you said, credit to Sebastian, because he's probably the first and only person that I follow, at least, that was very high on Kirby Doc from the moment that it happened. Everyone was like, oh, maybe he could be a, a decent uh, decent player, you know? Like, that's it's a good bet, right? That was my thought was, it's a good bet to trade a mid-first-round pick for a guy who was third overall, hadn't quite worked out with Chicago, had some injury issues, but I didn't think he was going to be this good. Not this no. quick. And now I'm looking at that contract that Hughes signed, and I'm like, He's a five and a half to six million dollar player right now, right? And, and he's he signed for what? Three, either three seventy five or three fifty five. Three three six two. Oh wow! Yeah, less than both the things I said. <laughs> less less than Yoel Armia. I'm sorry, Armia. I Hot don't damn. mean to pick on you. I don't. And you know what? I'm sure you have a fantastic life. You make three point four million dollars a year. I've seen photos of your family. They're all beautiful. So take solace in that. <laughs> But uh, Kirby Doc is making you look real bad right now. And I know it's a it's a bridge deal in a way, but it's four years. So they've actually taken advantage of that in like cap savings right now, where he's already worth way more than that contract. And at the end of it, he's still a restricted free agent. So they they have really masterfully played the whole Kirby Doc saga, from my opinion. And I, I'm just so excited to see what this guy can grow into because he's still so young. 
He's still like he's dominating at center. He's dominating on the wing. No matter what role they put him into, he's fantastic. And I did see there were some comments saying that, uh, like to be fair, Monahan when he was with Slaff and Anderson also had outshined the top line in certain games for sure. I mean, we're not gonna stop complimenting Sean Monahan on this show. We're all blown away by how great he's been as well. But Kirby Doc has just been next level. I don't think anybody coming into this season thought Kirby Doc would be the Canadians' third most important forward. And you might be able to argue that he, in many games, is their first or second most important forward. Like, that's how good he's been. That's crazy to me. You know, he's Zuki just... and Caulfield do need a night off once in a while. <laughs> they, they do, and they need defensive support, right? Because of the, the role that they're asked to play. And that's why it doesn't work with Josh Anderson. Because as much as I think Josh Anderson has grown his game a little bit this year, he's not good defensively. No, he's just he's not. He can't shoulder responsibility like that. No, there was a few points tonight where like that line got hemmed in and I believe it was the second lightning goal that they got hemmed in for. And it was entirely on Josh Anderson. He just like he was too lackadaisical thinking he was going to fly the zone with the puck and he just like overskated it and just like kept going out of the zone when the lightning maintained possession at the blue line, like brought it down low again. It was like that kind of stuff is why. Anderson always kind of annoys me, but he can put the puck in the net sometimes when he's on a hot streak. So that's always good. And also um, pisses off Leafs fans and Sens fans. So for me, the value is all there. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, King or Slaff, right? That's what I want to talk about next. Cause that fits into the whole doc situation. Last game, there were a lot of people who were concerned that, Slavkovsky got bumped down off the second line because Duran looked good and they bumped Duran up and Slavkovsky got shifted down. And there was something that I noticed after the show that I didn't get a chance to bring up on the show. But after two periods last game, Duran, I believe, was the Canadians' leader in both shot attempt percentage and expected goals for percentage. And then he got bumped up to the second line and he was the worst in the team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just got pilloried the rest of that that game, that line. So it's one of those situations where maybe it's a learning experience for Marty St. Louis that just because a player is playing well in a certain role does not mean they need to be pushed up the lineup because the whole Peter Principle thing, like you might be in your best situation and moving you up further just crushes you. But he went back to Slaff tonight on the second line, and I think putting Kirby Doc on that second line has a lot to do with giving Slavkovsky somebody to play off of. And I thought Slavkovsky had a great night. He seemed to really be thriving in tonight's game. That's that's what I felt, is that, you know, obviously the game looked boring when we were watching it, and I'm not going to take that away. Like, people were talking about falling asleep. I totally get you. You're probably talking about that in the comments. Andrew can see the comments, everybody. I can't see the comments. Um, but... Uh, I think I think because it it looks like that. Like I thought both, and I know we're going to talk about Gouli a bit later, but both he and Gouli looked like you could see from the way that they were playing. It felt like inspired play. They looked like they were thriving. And I think, you know, Kirby Doc is a great person to compliment him. The problem is that Kirby Doc makes that first line so much better. Yeah. So you kind of need to carefully manage this because you need somebody who can play with Slavkovsky that will bring out the best in him. And you need to keep Kirby Doc on that first line until you find that other person to finish it, to complete that line. Yeah, and it's one of those, the big issue with Monaghan being out, right, is like you can't trust Christian Dvorak with running a second line. It just has not worked out any time that they have tried it. 
They had that little bit of a run with like uh, Dvorak, Gallagher, and Hoffman when Hoffman was on his little heater. But with Gallagher out as well, that's the possession driver on that line. So they're really hampered by injuries right now and kind of forced into what we're seeing, which is another reason why I was kind of impressed with tonight's effort overall. But Gooley, I thought, played pissed off tonight. Like he, he started out playing well, and then when Pat Maroon hit him hard, I believe from behind, the rest of the game he looked mad and he was like ramming Kucherov into the boards, which I love. We're going to talk about Kucherov <laughs> after. But uh, then his like steal in the lightning zone, setting up Suzuki's only the only goal of the that game for the Canadians. So good. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. Good. Hi, Kay. <laughs> yeah, Ghouli Nation in the chat. Let's let's see some representation there. And I know uh, Hattie, who uh, is fantastic, great scout, who also works for Locked On and also works for Eyes and the Prize. So double uh, friend of the show Ghoulie there. Tweet thread about Ghouli tonight. He did. Yes. Were you going to bring it up? Yes, I was going to encourage everybody to go <laughs> check out his thread on Ghouli and why staying that extra year in junior instead of making it last year really benefited him because that play did not exist in his game a year ago. So that kind of stuff is is great to understand when you're looking at development of prospects. But I just all credit in the world to Caden Ghouli for making that play because not only did they score a goal, but right after that, it created like three or four shifts of consistent pressure on the lightning, which probably should have drawn like four or five calls. But unfortunately the whistles were put away at that point. Right. It was too late in the game. Right. And I thought, um, I thought something about Caden Gooley is that even now, even though we did talk a lot about, you know, how his trade to Edmonton was really instrumental, like playing in the playoffs, that was really instrumental. He turned his game from shutdown defenseman into two-way play. He worked a lot on his offensive game. But even now, you're seeing from game to game, you're seeing literal improvement. It's not like he was like, all right, I'm good enough to make the NHL now and I'm going to stop, right? He learns things from every single game that he plays. And he gets more creative as time goes on. And it's interesting because he's doing this, usually playing alongside somebody like David Savard. And like just the fact that he's able to increase his offen- offensive potential and his creativity is just it's just a testament to what a good player he is. And I I, you know, we talk about it so much. We underestimated him to begin with, but I think now he's he's even surpassing our the high expectations he set for us when he made the team this season. And we our expectations were high and they continue to be high. We know that the team is like, sorry, the league is now coaching against him and game planning against him. We know that, uh, you know, Kent Hughes is getting calls about him and don't Mm. trade him away. Uh, I want to watch him on this team for a long time. And you see that even with all of that, he continues to work so hard to improve his game. And he has a bad game. He follows it up with a good one. I haven't seen two consecutive games from him where I didn't like, you know, where I didn't like what he what, what he brought to the game. And he's one of those defensemen as well because he plays so many minutes, I think, and because they play him in so many situations, they like when if he has a bad game, the rest of the team kind of has a bad game. It's the same thing with Nick Suzuki, right? Nick Suzuki's all over the ice for so many minutes. He has a bad game. You can see the entire team has a bad game. Same with Kirby Doc, for example. These guys are going to be the leaders of this team or the anchors of this team or whatever you want to call it, the core that they build around when when this team is good. Just watching Kane Gooley be this good in his first season is just so gratifying. And it's such a fun thing to watch as a Canadians fan, knowing that the rest of the season is probably going to be S. 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And Miss Epica in the chat brings up that he's currently carrying uh, Joel Edmondson as well, who is not the easiest guy to play with at the moment than not having the best season. And, and it's true. And I know that a lot of folks from other markets, especially analytically inclined people, don't understand what people are talking about with Caden Gooley. I would suggest to go old school media guy on you to watch the games. Uh, <laughs> they're like analytics are great. I'm an analytics person, but there are nuances to this stuff that you can't get for, especially a guy like Caden Gooley from just throwing up a war stat or like looking at relative Corsi. King Gooley is being put in a situation that is literally the worst possible situation you can put a rookie defenseman in. Surprise, kid, you're on the top pair of a rebuilding team that can't really defend very well, and you're going to carry either David Savard or Joel Edmondson at all times, playing the toughest minutes on the team. Like, what is everyone expecting him to do? P.K. Subban played third pairing for half of his rookie season. Right, he played with like Alex Picard, I think his name was, and then Hal Gill. And it wasn't until <laughs> around January where uh, Jacques Martin started to trust Subban enough to start playing him higher up in the lineup, and he brought Hal Gill with him to the top pairing. And you saw Roman Hammerlick <laughs> and I think Yaro Spachik move down to the second pairing, and all of a sudden Subban was the guy. King Gooley's not going to be the guy like Subban in his first season, but I think what we're going to see is next year. He's going to be the biggest improvement from underlying numbers because he's going to be put in a, a better situation on a slightly better team, better partners, better partners, and his own game will grow because I do think it is tougher to translate like a defensive defenseman into the NHL at 20 years old than it is an offensive guy. Like you look at what Mike Matheson is expected to do and Mike Matheson's numbers this year for the Canadians outside of like goals for and against because he's been crazy unlucky are f- fucking phenomenal. Like they're incredible, but I Matheson, know. yeah, they are insanely good. Like some of the best in the NHL, but wow. Matheson is allowed to do things and take risks that Gooley, I'm not saying St. Louis is saying he can't, but I don't think Gooley feels that he should take because of the responsibility that he has. Whereas Matheson is like, we know you're a veteran. Wheel and deal. We'll deal with the the issues, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Gooley is developing his game as a much more responsible defenseman. And I, I just, you can see watching him, the right plays are being made. He's usually making the right reads. Does he make mistakes? Absolutely. Sometimes he'll fall down when Trevor Zagris uh, makes a very nice shimmy shake, right? And that <laughs> happens to every defenseman in the league. You know, great defensive Raise players. Raise your hand if you've been victimized by Trevor Zegras. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, Jeff Petrie was a great defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens for years. And every five, six games, he would get absolutely walked by somebody. Because that's kind right. of what being a, a defenseman is. The, the other option for that kind of situation is... If you're going to be a defensive defenseman, you could be a Shea Weber and just keep a huge gap so you never really get walked. But then it opens up a huge amount of space in the middle area of the ice for players to shoot on you. And that's why like Shea Weber always had uh, a big effect on goalies high danger save percentage because he would stick in close to the net. But in the middle distance, the save percentage dropped because he gave, right. more, gave more gap there, right? So it's a trade-off. And I think Gooley is making the right decision 
for the way the game is trending and you can see him adding elements to his game as he becomes more comfortable i just think he's going to have a gigantic breakout year next year and i'm super super uh, <laughs> excited about Trizak saying breaking Andrew Berkshire forsakes advanced stats for the eye test more at 11. I've been doing it a lot this season because I think the advanced metrics just aren't as important for a rebuilding team as watching the underlying stuff underneath those. Right. And you guys know, I worked for a private data company for five years. I had access to data that showed things that you wouldn't understand. that wouldn't necessarily fold into uh, the outputs that we get in public data, but could predict like where somebody was trending, right? Like, I don't know if you remember Laura, but Jack Hughes in his rookie year and even his sophomore year, people were like all over him, just like trashing him, saying that he was never going to be a good player, couldn't finish, blah, 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 blah. And the whole time I was looking at the numbers that were like his personal inputs to plays through, uh, I don't want to name the company because they let me go. Uh, that kind of data. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, what do you call it? No shilling for companies that let us go. No exactly. free publicity. Exactly. No free publicity. If they want to sponsor the show, fine. I'll, I'll name them. But uh, my, price, <laughs> my price has gone up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I looked at that and I was like, no, Jack Hughes is going to be a gamer. Like, he's fantastic for an 18-year-old who needs to put on a little bit of muscle. Like, his numbers were fantastic. And lo and behold, look at this. Look at what he's done. It's the same thing. I remember Chris Boucher at the time uh, said that like Matt Barzal was going to be the steal of his draft. And everyone was like, Matt Barzal, you can skate, whatever. And Matt Barzal, first line center, fantastic steal player. Exactly. So there's things beyond public data that can tell you stuff about players. So you do have to marry that with like video analysis. It's why stuff like the reels that... Uh, Dmitry Filipovich puts together are so interesting. The threads that Sebastian High puts together are so interesting. It's why it's so important to talk to scouts who actually watch these games, right? And and break things down from a point of view that we don't often talk about. So Ghoulie Nation, be strong. He's going to be fantastic next year. He's already great, but he's going to be a real gamer. I think that's the thing for me is that I look at individual plays a lot this season because we know, like you said, the overall underlying numbers are unimpressive. Sometimes I'll look at a heat map and then I'll be like, why did I open this? It ruined my night. I'll look at sometimes, you know, some some natural stat trick is one of my favorite uh, sites where I draw a lot of uh, numbers from. And then it just, it it's upsetting to look at sometimes because it's not the way you want it to be, but you have to remember that the Canadians are playing against teams that are so much better than them. Today, with the Ottawa Senators winning a game, they now have dropped to the bottom of the Atlantic Division, which is where we all expected them to be. Let's not, you know, let's not, let's not pretend we didn't. And they are dropping. I still don't think they're going to be a bottom five team, but I do think it's, it's reasonable that they can be a bottom seven, bottom eight team. I think what we were talking about is like, do we, we look at individual plays and are players getting better? And when you see them do things in a more skilled way or having better instincts in a response to a situation, making better reads, as Martin St. Louis would say, when you see them learn from previous, you know, whatever gaffes, mistakes, or even just underwhelming play, and you see them get better in individual spots, eventually, you know, guys that are young, and still learning, like your Caden Goolies, your Kirby Docs, your your even your Slavkovskis, which like I, I would still consider Slavkovsky very raw as a player. Oh, 100%. Um, but you know, you see them get 
better instinctually. You see their hockey IQ improve game to game when you see them attempt plays in a better way or anticipate mistakes that they made last time and correct for them. And so that to me is like the real meat and fun of a rebuilding season. And I think, you know, that, like you said, those, those reels that Dimitri puts together or Sebastian Heiss threads, like those individual moments that you can read you can see the situation the context how they how they respond to it like there's so much nerdery in that that like I don't need to know all the underlying numbers I can just kind of you know just enjoy the season for like the little improvements that the future of this team is making 100% all right uh I'm gonna cut the Montreal Canadiens talk there for a second and do one little bit on Montreal Canadiens adjacent I kind of hinted at it when I talked about Gouli wrecking Kucherov there for a second <clears throat> Sorry. But uh, I don't know if there's anybody in the league that I want to see get destroyed in a completely legal manner as often, like every game if possible, as Nikita Kucherov. And I know that that's like coming at it from a Habs perspective. And obviously, like a lot of Canadians fans don't like him because he was doing his little shit talk when they won the Stanley Cup, and which was like the most poor winner. I know everybody thought that that was like super funny outside of the market, but that was like extreme loser energy to me you just won the stanley cup and you're like i need to shit on the fans of the other team like dude you won the stanley cup uh maybe that's what you should talk about but anyway i don't think there's anybody in the league who gets away with as much rat bastard shit as nikita kucherov and the whole game i was just hoping that again completely legally that arbor jackai or kane Gooley would catch him at the wrong moment and just put him through the glass I hate that guy. I know I, I respect his talent. He's amazing. And I respect the, the move, like the, the shit. Cause like you always love those guys when they're on your own team. Right. But right. man, he is the most hateable guy. And it kind of transfers through to the whole Tampa Bay lightning roster. Like they're yeah. just a team. They work the refs per- perfectly. They know exactly how much they can get away with. And they push that line further and further every season. But every year now, I'm looking at them and I'm like, they can't keep getting away with this. They can't go to the Stanley Cup final again. I'm tired of them. <laughs> they can't keep getting away with this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just want them to suck. Like, I, I want that, this era to be over now. They were fun for a couple years. Now, get the hell out and make way for another dynasty or something. I don't care. Just fall apart, please. <laughs> I mean, I feel that way too, a little bit, but... He doesn't bother me as much as he bothers you, but I don't like him and I never will, right? There's some players that I like on, on on the Lightning and then there's some players that I will acknowledge are amazing but will continue to hate. For example, I like Vasilevsky. I yeah. like Victor Hedman. I kind of like Stamkos. But then guys like Kucherov, guys like Pat Maroon, like I will acknowledge Corey Perry. I will acknowledge their effectiveness, but I will hate their guts. Yeah, Trisak says... The take is salty, but I'm a fan of savory. So feed me Cooch getting his ass kicked. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, it is salty for sure. Cause I've watched Kucherov get away with stuff against teams that I've either, either been cheering for against the lightning or that I've called to beat the lightning, all that stuff and been wrong several times over the last couple of years. But I don't care if it's salty. I just, I want to see him get plowed into the board so hard that he never wants to carry the puck into the offensive zone again. <laughs> like it's the same as like prime... no permanent injuries, just fear, just fear. Yeah. Just, just fear, just fear. He's already dealt with crazy injuries, right? The hip surgery that kept him out of the, uh, a full season, 
which I know everybody thinks was cap circumvention, but it wasn't. Well, but okay, uh, listen, like, the timing of the return might have been cap circumvention. Sure, but I think people think that they held him out for longer so that he could just come in right after the season. I think he came back early to play in the playoffs. Like if you watch him that first series, even the first two, he was terrible. He didn't look great. No, he looked terrible. He was on the power play. He was fine because he didn't have to move, but at even strength, he was not, he was not himself, but yeah, him prime Brad Marchand, kind of the same territory. I saw a comment in there saying uh, Tom Wilson as well. Cause he like a good 40% of his hits are illegal or at least borderline. See, at I, least with Tom Hill, Tom Wilson, everybody hates him, but Caps fans. Yes, but I feel like Tom Wilson also, he's not a premier talent in the league. So it's very easy to get everyone on board with like, yeah, screw this guy, hate this guy. But Kucherov and, and Marshawn are unbelievably good. So not only right. are they dirty as hell and draw penalties, they also kill you on the scoreboard, which is the worst trifecta for every opposing team. <laughs> yeah. Who's going to be our one of those? That's a good question, Laura. We'll have to get that uh, message to can't use. They've got to find an absolute shit disturber. Uh, Kay brings up Chris Kreider still. Yes, of course, Chris Kreider. Fuck that guy. The most devious man in New York City. <laughs> all right. That's all I have to talk about for tonight. Thanks, Laura, for joining me. Thanks for Thank everyone you. to uh, come and hang out. It's always fun doing this show. And uh, we will be changing things up in the new year, actually. I'll, I'll announce that tonight. It's going to be a little bit different. We're testing things out because YouTube hasn't been working out for us right now with the algorithm. Our numbers are below what they were last year under Ducharme, which makes no sense because I feel like people are having more fun watching the team, even if they're losing right now. But uh, we will be just Game Over Montreal. We're going to be the pilot for this, uh, just kind of testing things out. We will not be live in the new year. We'll record right after the game as per usual. You can send questions through Twitter or uh, the SDPN Discord. We can interact with you there, but we won't be able to interact live. And then we're going to post the video as just a YouTube video and see how things play out. If nothing really changes, we'll go back to live. We're going to probably do that for the full month of January and we'll see how things change. Maybe YouTube will fix their BS by then and we'll be able to search for this show and actually find it. But Either way, we're still going to have fun. We'll still have lots of awesome content for you. Make sure you follow Laura on Twitter at The Active Stick. Subscribe to Locked On Canadians, wherever you can get your podcasts. And subscribe to this show, of course, Game Over NHL as a podcast. Or you can find the link to the playlist on my link tree on my Twitter at Andrew Berkshire. Subscribe to SDPN. Share this show wherever you can. Tell all your friends about it. And, uh... We'll see you. I think the next show might not be me, I think. Yes, the next show is going to be Mark Dumas against the Coyotes, a late game on Monday, and uh, he's going to have Matt Drake on. So it's EOTP fever on the show lately. (laughs) We're bringing everybody in. All right, everybody. We'll see you then. I'll be back, I think, on Wednesday after Mark is done. So uh, see you then. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.